Amen. Good to see you this morning, and uh, we do appreciate you uh, praying uh, for our kids as they were at camp over the last few weeks and uh, had a great uh, camp and uh, many decisions all three weeks for the Lord, and, and we're so thankful for that, and we want to pray for those young people that uh, made decisions, and you know, when you get away uh, from you know, Xbox and television and all that kind of stuff and are around some godly Christian influence, God can really speak to, uh, to your heart, uh, and God certainly did, but you know, we can't stay at retreats and camps forever, although we wish we could. We've got to come home. And that's when it gets difficult. And you pray, especially for those young people that made decisions, that they will uh, continue to be faithful and that they'll stand on those decisions uh, that they made. And uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're going to finish up uh, this chapter. We started it last week. Um, and we're going to wrap it up today. Um, you know, we, uh, all of us are so very blessed uh, by God, and, and God has been so very good to all of us. And in fact, there's something I know about every one of you, is that God has been much better to you than you deserve. Uh, and that's true no matter who you are. Uh, I know it's certainly true of me. Um, and I'm thankful that God um, does bless me. Why does he do that? Because though you are unworthy on your own, you are not on your own. You see, when you ask Christ to come into your life and he makes you new, he takes up residence inside of you. And you become his. And so as you become his, you're not yours anymore, you're his. The problem is, though, and the problem with the Corinthian church and the problem that all of us have is sometimes we forget that uh, because we, especially in America, we kind of like Burger King's philosophy. We kind of like when we can have it our way. Man, we're the happiest when we get things our way. But guess what? We don't always get things our way, and sometimes our way will lead to destruction and bad things what we need to be concerned about and always follow after is God's way. And recognize that if your way and God's way part, you better get on God's sidewalk. You better get on God's path because his is the right way. And so Paul is making that point to the Corinthian church and reminding them, and he uses the context of the Lord's Supper that we'll celebrate uh, this morning at the conclusion of our sermon. So take a look with me, beginning in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those that are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one who is hungry and another is drunk. But do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? 
I do not praise you. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, uh, or as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood Uh, the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest he come together in judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. And so Paul, uh, you know, he's encouraged the church at Corinth, uh, but then he's also disappointed with them and is judging them uh, because of their conduct in the Lord's house and how uh, they're treating one another and how they're especially treating one another uh, in as it relates to the Lord's Supper. And back then it, it, it's probable that they celebrated the Lord's Supper every time they came together. Now, the Bible doesn't prescribe a certain time if you you know, do it every time, and there's some churches that do it every week. Uh, there's some that do it every quarter. There's some that do it once a year. There's some uh, that do it whenever the preacher gets a hankering to do it. And, uh, but he says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me, uh, remembrance of Jesus and what he did. And so Paul says, I have issue with you because you are misbehaving. How many of you here have ever misbehaved? All of us. All of us are guilty of misbehaving. All of us have this sin uh, curse that's in us that really drives us to misbehave and do things God says we shouldn't. And even as a child of God, even after you ask Jesus to come into your life and make you new, can I tell you something? You're still prone to misbehaving. And so Paul is not writing this to lost people. He's writing it to church people. He's writing it to saved folks. And saying, listen, you say that you're saved and that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, but you're not behaving like it. And so he turns to the Lord's Supper. And evidently what was going on in the church was that, you know, some were taking great big portions uh, and some were when, and they had one cut, and they, you know, they, yeah, they took the the one body literally, and and they all had this chalice, and they drank from it together, buddy. 
And uh, some, they took a little longer swigs than others. Uh, and so uh, by the end, there was not enough left for everyone. And people are also pushing themselves to the front of the line. As Ben shopping on Friday after Thanksgiving, I don't know why anybody would do that, but uh, Leslie has dragged me a few times. Uh, and people line up hours and hours before. Maybe you do that. And there's I mean, they're serious, but, you know, wanting to be in, and when the doors open, there's not just an orderly single file line through the doors. There's a mad rush. And people trample, and there have been people that have been killed in stores uh, trying to get in on uh, Good Friday, or I think that's what, uh, no, Black Friday, Black Friday. Uh, you know, trying to get good deals. Uh, and that's how the world thinks. And Paul's saying to us as Christians, that's not how you're supposed to think as a child of God. And that certainly is not how you are supposed to behave in the Lord's house. And so he says, listen, I've got this issue with you because you have been disrespecting the Lord's Supper. And so he said, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to examine yourself. You need to look at yourself and say, hey, listen, what's going on with me? And where am I at in my walk with the Lord and my relationship with God? And um, he says, you know what? For uh, Because people are taking advantage of others and they're disregarding others and they're treating some people as less, there's some who are weak among you. And there's some that are sick among you. And there's even some among you that have died because of how they're treating other people. And so God takes how we treat others and how we treat his house very seriously. And so, what's he want us to do? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think there's three questions that God wants us to ask. wants all of us to ask. And not just around the Lord's Supper. But I think God intends for us to ask these questions of ourselves regularly. And the first one is this. What are my motives? What drives my life? What, what pushes me and draws me to do the things that I do? There were some in the church at Corinth that their motives was themselves. They wanted notoriety. They wanted to be the big cheeses. They wanted to rule the roost. And they wanted their way. And Paul says, listen, I've heard you're getting it, and I believe it. So what are your motives? Are your motives pure? Can I tell you something? Left on your own, your motives are not pure. As human beings, and the way we're wired, without Christ, our motives are selfish. They're about us. And even when we're thinking about others, it's not others that we don't know, it's others that we do know, and we might be concerned about them. But those that we don't know or those that are far away, we're not really concerned about. 
that's selfish, that's human motives. But I think God wants us to ask and say, you know what, what were Christ's motives? Why did Christ come? And why did Christ die on the cross of Calvary? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why was his body broken and his blood shed? For me. And for you. And for all the world. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Doesn't matter how good we are. It's not matter how much money we've got. Doesn't matter what language we speak how much education we have or how much we don't have. All that matters is that we have called on the name of Jesus and we've trusted his sacrifice and we've accepted that free gift. His motivation was love. He loved you and he loved me. He loved the whole world, but he was motivated to leave his throne of heaven and come down to earth among sinners that would mock him would reject him, would beat him, and would ultimately crucify him. And by the way, he knew that before he came, and he came anyway. Because he knew that was the only way that any of us would have any hope. And so his motive was doing and pleasing God. And doing what God wanted him to do. And, and knowing what that he wanted to make sure that God's plan was fulfilled. How could God do anything but that? But here's the thing when, remember Paul has just said, hey listen, Christ now dwells in you. And you become part of him. And so what motivates Christ should motivate you. And so Paul says, as you think about that, what, what drives you to church? Why do you come to church? There are some people, especially this is an election year, and so those that are running for public office, they show up in churches a little more often than they probably regularly do, some of them. Because even though our nation's becoming more and more secular and stuff, uh, Politicians note still, you know, we're Christian, and, and most people in America be, believe in God, and, and uh, at least they say they do. And so they want to see, they, they want to be seen in church. There are some churches that, you know, people want to climb the social ladder. We know that you come to First Real Baptist, it's not to climb any social ladder. Um, you know, it's not about, you know, uppity-ups and who's who's, it's about Jesus. And so if what motivates you to come to church and what motivates you to serve God and worship God is what you get out of it, your motives are unworthy. And they are not what God's looking for you as a child of God. He says your motive needs to be you know what, I want to love God, I want to serve God, and I want to serve God's people. What motivates us ought to be what motivated Jesus, and that's love for people. We come to church and we serve because God first loved us and we love Him. 
but also we love one another. And there's power when God's people come together. And Scripture commands us that we're to come together as God's people. So when Paul says, you know what, examine yourself, he's not, you know, what he's saying is you need to make sure you're worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Now, are your motives and are you worthy on your own to receive the Lord's Supper? Absolutely you're not. None of us are. But here's the thing. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus says, you know what? You are worthy. And so Paul says, you make sure your motives are God-honoring and Christ-honoring and Christ-reflecting. And so if your motives are Christ-honoring and Christ-reflecting, do you rush to the communion table and get, get a big, the biggest handful of, the, of that bread that you can and shove it in your mouth, take the biggest swig of the communion cup as you can, and in fact take you some seconds and thirds? That, you don't do that if your motivation is others. And in fact, if your motivation is others, you say, you know what? You please go ahead of me. Please go first. My grandmother is probably like your grandmother. She would always, as we'd gather at their house for meals at different times of the year, Christmas or Easter, you know, big events or family reunions or different things like that. Grandma was the one, I don't think she ever ate a hot meal. Grandma was always running around the table. She would say, Liz, do you have enough? Do you have enough? Uh, and, you know, the grandkids and the, her children would say, sit down, eat, we're fine. If we want something, we know where it's at, we'll get it. Grandma, perhaps better than any other person that I've ever known in my life, modeled what it is to serve and love others. Why was she able to do that? Well, she was a sweet lady, surely. Most grandmas are. But it was because she knew Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and her life had been transformed because of what drove Jesus to the cross. And because she understood that, she was motivated to love others. Especially, and even those that had done wrong, even those that were not where they ought to be with the Lord even those that had done wrong, even those that people, other people may have considered social outcasts or downtrodden. Can I tell you that if you see a poor person and you, know, you think badly about it or you move to the other side of the room or you just avoid that, your motives are not what they ought to be. And so, first of all, Jesus says, what are your motives? Examine your motives. But then the second question that we need to ask is, what is my message? Paul is especially upset because the people in Corinth, this is what they were saying, my needs and my wants are more important than anybody else's. Now, they weren't saying it in that exact way, but their actions, that's exactly what they were telling them. We are talking about in our Sunday school class this morning, you know, sometimes in churches people wanting to have control, wanting to have their way, and wanting to have power. And I tell you that as a child of God, when you behave that way, it sends a very bad message. 
Are we sending the message of the gospel? And this is what the gospel says. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how unworthy you are. It doesn't matter how many times you have fouled up. God's grace will forgive you and make you new. That's the gospel. You don't have to dress a certain way to experience the gospel. You'll have a certain amount of money to experience the gospel. You'll have to speak a certain language to experience the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would call upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. So often, even in church, we forget the whosoevers. Well, it's fine if those whosoevers are just like me. But oh, if they're a different color. Maybe they dress a different way. Maybe they speak a different language. Maybe they have a different kind of haircut. We need to understand that your life, child of God, is the only Bible that some people will ever read. They're not going to pick up the Bible and just start reading, but they are reading you. And so does what they see and what they read from watching you in your life and listening to you tell them, you know what, God loves me, God can forgive me, and God can do something with me? Or does it say you're worthless, you're not worth my time, and you're not worth Jesus' time? And you're not as important as I am. And if that is what your message is, it is not the message of the gospel. And Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you need to repent of that. You need to tell God not only that you're sorry for doing it, but you need to never, ever do it again. So what is your message? We're to ask ourselves that all the time. What message am I showing others? Am I showing others that Jesus loves them no matter what? Or am I showing them, hey, listen, Jesus will be your friend only if you're good, only if you act a certain way, and only if you believe a certain way, only if you, you are a certain way? Absolutely not. That's not what the message of Jesus is. Jesus himself said in the gospel, he said to his followers and some that were questioning him, he said, you know what? People that are well, people that are healthy, don't need a physician. I came to help those that were sick. Now there was an in-between the lines, the very people that Jesus was saying that to thought they were well, but they were the very ones that needed the doctor the worst. I thank God that there is nobody that is beyond the reach of the gospel. That God can save and change anyone, even you. And even me. Say, well, preacher, if you knew all the things that I've done and how worthy I am, that's the thing, I don't have to know what you did. But I know no matter how bad you think it was, and how much you've tried to hide it from everybody else, God knows it. And he loves you anyway. 
Now, that does not mean we can just go out and live however we want to live, but it does mean God knows our mess, and he take our mess and turn it into a message that honors him and reflects him. And then the last question, what is my ministry? Can I tell you, every one of you has a ministry that God desires for you to have. I think even our young people that are here today have things that God intends for them to do. You have something that God created you to do. But you know what? Some in the church at Corinth were not considering what's my ministry. And can I tell you, your ministry is never, ever, ever about you. And if what you do for the Lord or what you think you're doing for the Lord is all about you, you're not doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for you. God wants you, every one of us, to understand that God has something He desires for us to do. Now, we've got some young kids here today. Can they do everything that a grown-up can do? No. And we might need somebody to drive us Tuesday. Am I going to ask Eli to get in the church van and drive us to Richton? Absolutely not. The poor kid's feet wouldn't touch the pedals. He couldn't see over the dashboard as he sits in that front seat of the van. So we wouldn't want him to do that. But is there something he can do? Yeah, there's things God can use him for. And then we've got uh, people like Brother Bill. Brother Bill doesn't walk as fast as he used to. But guess what? He ain't dead yet. And that means there's still things that God has for even Brother Bill to do. God has things for every one of us to do. And it's not about us and our desires. Now today in our churches in America in 2022, we're not arguing about people drinking too much communion wine, getting snockered. What we're arguing about is, you know what, I want worship my I want drums. Well, no, if you've got drums in your church, you're unbiblical. You know, I want us to sing hymns. I want us to sing all new songs. That's what we are. Is that gospel issue? It is absolutely not. And you know what, my prayer, if God sent us someone that knew how to play the guitar, we'd have a guitar. If we had a drummer, we'd have drums. I believe God sends us what we need and what he desires for us to have. And the thing is, is, you know, sometimes God intends for people and asks people. And he gives them gifts and then sends them a place to use that gift. But they go and they don't use that gift. Or they don't go where God sends them to go because it's not where they want to go. And so Paul says, as you come to the Lord's table, you ask yourselves these three questions. What are my motives? Why do I do what I do? Why am I here? Why am I at church on Sunday? Now, do you get something out of church on Sunday? I hope you do. It seems evident to me that you do because you keep coming back. So we get something out of it, but is that what drives us to church? I hope not. Are our motives for helping others and making God's name great? 
and obeying what God has called us to do. Listen, can I tell you that if your motive is, listen, I want to do what God wants me to do, and you're doing that with the Lord's help as best as you can, then you're in a good place. What are your motives? If you come with motives you know, to be seen, and then you come to the Lord's table and make a mockery of it, then you're eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. That's what Paul's talking about. Are our motives unpure? And are our motives unclean? And then he says, you know, what kind of message am I sending to people by how I behave and how I speak? You may never speak to somebody, but your actions and your demeanor speaks volumes before you even open your mouth. Are you sending a message to people that God loves them and that you love them because you're a child of God and a servant of God? Paul says you examine that message and if it's the wrong message, you get that right before you come to this table or else you're drinking and eating in an unworthy manner. And then he says, what is your ministry? Is your ministry, do you think serving God is all about you and what you want to do? Or is your ministry about serving God and serving others? A church begins to die, and there's churches that die every year, unfortunately, close their doors in America, thousands of them just in America. Every single day, there's churches that close. Can I tell you that a lot of times it's because church becomes about the people inside the four walls and what they want? and what's comfortable for them, and for what they can control, rather than what God wants to do with them. And about a dying and hurting world that God has put that church in the middle of to help reach with the message that he loves them. May our church never face that fate. And when we're asking ourselves continually these three questions, what is my motive? my motive to reflect Jesus? Is my message to make much of the gospel and to make sure people know that God loves them and change them and forgive them no matter what? And am I ministering to others? Am I doing what God has given me to do? Am I going where God wants me to go? Am I saying what God wants me to say? And you say, yes, then you joyfully come around this table because in this table reminds us of why we're worthy. On our own, we are so unworthy. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us and who he says we are, we can gather around this table knowing that he is worthy. And the way that begins is being washed in the blood. So in a moment, we're going to sing that hymn of invitation and As we sing that this morning, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. What are my motives? What's my message? What's my ministry? And if in any three of those questions there's things that God points out to you and you need to get it right before we receive communion, you come to these altars or you pray where you're standing and you get things right so you can gather around the Lord's table in a way that honors him rather in a way that disgraces him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us.
Lord, we pray that you would help us to always examine ourselves. Lord, it's, we are so thankful. Those of us that are saved and recognize we are unworthy on our own, but praise God with you on our side, we are worthy. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to every day, not just today as we've preached this message, but every day, help us to ask these three questions. Help us to check our motives. That Help us to check our message that we're telling everybody, not just a few. Help us to never be prejudiced and uh, discriminatory against other people. But help us to share freely with everyone that you, God, love them and died on a cross of Calvary to save them and to change them. Lord, help us to serve you how you've called us and gifted us and sent us. Help us to obey in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood?